The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, it's Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box with Karen Cho, Jeff Cutmore and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. The House of Representatives introducing an article of impeachment against President Trump, planning to vote on the move Wednesday, uh, one week after rioters stormed the Capitol building. Big Tech joins the growing list of U.S. corporations pausing political donations. Amazon, Facebook, Google and Microsoft all taking a step back in the wake of last week's violence. Twitter tumbles as it faces a growing backlash after banning President Trump from its platform. The German Chancellor Angela Merkel calling the move a problematic violation of the right to free speech. Goldman Sachs brings forward its $65 call on oil from early end of Q2. And the bank's commodities chief tells CNBC he sees even greater upside. As we go into 2022, that you're going to get above pre-COVID levels. If pre-COVID levels were 100 million barrels per day, we think you're going to hit 102.5 million barrels per day in 2022. Now more than 2 million people have had their first vaccine shot here in the UK. France is also ramping up its vaccination program. Meanwhile, BioNTech CEO offering hope against the new variant in an exclusive interview with CNBC. We are confident that based on the mechanism of our vaccine, even though there are mutations, we believe that the immune response which is induced by uh, by our vaccine could also deal with mutated virus. There's a lot of adjectives and ways you can describe what's going on in the United States political establishment moment. But one I would say is very messy. It's messy if you're a Republican working out uh, who your core constituency, are you prepared to dump Trump or not? And it's messy if you're a Democrat as well. There are me- Democrats who just want to get on with business, who just want to get on with the inauguration and move forward. And there are others who want to look at the horrendous events last week uh, and, and see uh, somebody paying the price for that as well. So Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives now are going to vote uh, on impeaching the president, Mr. Trump, on Wednesday, unless he resigns first or is removed uh, by the 25th Amendment. Now, if he's impeached, the Senate will then vote on whether to remove him from office. But there are questions about the time frame of that due to the questions I just raised. The process is unlikely to be completed ahead of President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th, though. And and what is very interesting, there are some senior Democrats who are saying, we just want to give Joe Biden a chance of getting his agenda on the table uh, and trying to get some of his promises uh, into law in the United States. And maybe... If there were an impeachment, if the articles were sent up to the Senate, where, let's face it, it's unlikely that the president uh, would be successfully impeached as well, uh, then potentially um, it would go at a later date. Those articles would be sent at a later date and hence the time frame in the Senate uh, would be slowed down somewhat as well. But in the meantime, more big tech names are going to halt political contributions uh, from their political action committees, the PACs, uh, this following the storming of the US Capitol last week. Now, I think the timing is very interesting, and there's a great debate about this. We'll try and do some of that on Squawkbox as well. But look at these guys, I'm including, dare I say, our own owner, Comcast as well. Uh, Facebook's there, Amazon, Microsoft. They're all going to pause 
donations, all donations, while they review their PAC, their PAC policies, uh, whilst companies such as Airbnb have taken a more targeted approach. This is what I was saying to you about if you're a Democrat or Republican, you've got to work out now who your base is, who you need to reach out to uh, in order to win in 2022, amongst other things. But closing their checkbooks now, a lot of these companies, to politicians who voted against the certification of the presidential election results. Again, this debate has come over to this side of the Atlantic. And I think it's fascinating in all kinds of contexts you can put in because Angela Merkel, Angela Merkel, she's criticised Twitter's decision to permanently suspend President Trump's account, uh, dubbing the, the move a problematic stifling of the fundamental right to free speech. The fundamental right to free speech. But if that speech is convoluted with hate speech, where does that leave us? The German Chancellor said that the US should regulate social media more tightly instead of allowing firms to police themselves. And that's what I think is really interesting because regulation of big tech is something that Karen has led our coverage on. Jeff has had some really good views on and we talked about it a lot as well. Are the social media companies, the tech companies, really, really concerned about what's coming down the pipe? And as such now, at such a late stage, moving uh, on what they say is unacceptable behavior from anyone on their sites. Uh, Twitter shares dropped on Monday, and we talked about this a little bit last week, didn't we, about Twitter losing a lot of, let's face it, volume of activity if Mr. Trump and his followers uh, are not given a platform there. We've given a platform anyway. We'll talk about that as well later on. Now, speaking uh, to CNBC, U.S. Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Tom Donahue uh, also expressed wariness in the tech giant's move. I do think the idea of limiting people's ability to... uh to talk in ways that question the, the, the uh, legitimacy of our government and the founding uh, principles under we operate is uh, something that we ought not uh, be invi- inviting uh, people to have uh, in the way it's been happening. Let's take a look at the market reaction to some of these big events and the new risk around regulation of social media. One of the big dominant themes impacting the Nasdaq, you could see that in session, the outsized fall that we saw on the the, the tech heavy index, a one and a quarter percent slump. Also more caution as investors continue to follow the politics in Washington uh, across the rest of the market. You can see a slight pullback taking place. So we are drifting off some of the highs that we've seen in recent sessions. Uh, the scene was set before the markets opened on Wall Street yesterday. Some of the caution really coming back into the equation. You can see that played out very much in session. Uh, the flip side too, uh, the yield story, the reflation story, we continue to see the march higher in yields. And investors are somewhat cautious about just how quickly we may see that increase too on the yield side. And let's peel into what we're seeing on the big tech sell-off, though, because it was a concentration in focus around some of these big names, Twitter in particular. That was a huge focus after the banning of Trump, the 6.4% down for the social media platform. If you think about regulation in the United States, it's a somewhat of a light-touch approach. It's up to the likes of Twitter, Facebook and others to decide some of the terms and policies. A little bit different to where the European Union wants to take that discussion. So very much in focus is what the policy should look like in the United States as well on the back of uh, these political moves from the social media platforms, Facebook falling as a result. 
Now, some of the other major ones, Facebook, you can see down 4%. So outside spores, they're also indefinitely suspending Trump's account. Uh, the other major players, too, are also in the mix. If you talk about Amazon, Alphabet, Google, and also Apple, they moved on the right-wing platform Parler as well to uh, limit its access or, or viewers getting access to that site and uh, embroiled in what you're seeing in the sell-off across the board in technology where those names off roughly about 2%. In terms of treasuries, as we talk about this reflation trade, let's just take stock of the steepening of the yield curve because we do have the widest spread between the short and long end. That's the 2 and the 10 that we've seen since July 2017. So it's now wider than 100 basis points uh, for the first time since then. And effectively talk about just how quickly the rise has been. This is a safe haven trade, but we've risen about 23 basis points since the start of this year on this U.S. 10-year debt yield. So a fairly significant acceleration. But what comes next is what investors are looking at, and I think that has implications for the dollar. If we can switch over the charts, you can see the acceleration in investors just trimming some of those very short positions in the dollar. That has sustained a four-day rally. We've roughly gained about 1.5% on last week. The next stops here. Investors are a little bit cautious about what happens next. If you see a rally from that 1.14% level in the U.S. Treasuries, uh, the next level, one and a quarter percent to 1.3%, that's what the market's watching because they think that could set a pathway to 1.6% on the U.S. Treasury yield. And you're now seeing the correlation between yields and the dollar. Yields yank high, then you will also see dollar start to be pulled in that direction as as well. So watch out for any trends there. But uh, we have seen uh, a fairly swift acceleration to in dollar trade, reversing that weak dollar trend we've witnessed in recent months. I want to take you to Asia. Markets are a little bit choppy. And don't forget uh, different factors at play. Tokyo coming back into the mix after a holiday yesterday, moving into the green. Uh, Hong Kong stronger and China stocks well and truly out in front. But uh, the Australian market reflecting some of that caution on Wall Street. And the opening calls, this is how we are perched for the day in the green. Uh, arrows in lockstep moving into positive territory, suggesting a break from the losing streak we witnessed across the European markets yesterday. We shed about 1% on the FTSE in the trading day and roughly uh, about 8 tenths off the German stock market. So it was a weaker day of trade. And we may correct that today with a little bit of upside. Jeff. Yeah, good morning, Karen. Uh, what's interesting, I think, is even as owners of defensives have seen some of their positions uh, lose money, or at least they've seen a selling down of gold and some of the other defensive assets at this point, the investment banks are seizing on steepening of parts of the US yield curve as an indication that we are going to get more economic activity and higher growth rates. Let's just talk a little bit about Goldman Sachs. They have raised their GDP estimates now for 2021 after Democrats took control of the Senate. The investment bank now expecting the U.S. economy to grow by 6.4% this year. That's up from its previous guidance of 5.9%. Juliana spoke to Jan Hatzis, uh, head of global investment research and chief economist at Goldman Sachs, and asked him what needs to go right for the U.S. to hit the new target. You have to, first of all, look at the 6.4% in the context of a deep downturn, unprecedented downturn in 2020. Obviously, without that, we wouldn't be talking about anything like these kinds of numbers. The things that need to go right, I think, are first and foremost progress on the pandemic in the context of a sharp ramp up in vaccinations over the next few months. That's probably at the top of the list, the as you know, the vaccination progress so far has been 
disappointing. It's been slower than anticipated, but we are seeing evidence that the daily number of vaccinations is rising significantly. We think we'll still probably vaccinate, at least with the first shot, about half the population, somewhat over half the population by May. And combined with the impact of previous infections, we think that that is going to imply herd immunity effectively, reduce the risk of renewed outbreaks, and thereby bring back activity in the key sectors that are still very disrupted, like mm. hotels and travel and so forth. That's, that's at the top of the list. The other thing that I think is contributing significantly and where the outlook has changed in the wake of last week's elections in Georgia is fiscal policy, where we'll see substantial amount of stimulus. When do you think that tapering could begin? Tapering will be earlier, and the Fed's been less clear on the conditions for what, you know, that are necessary to, to get you tapering. They've, said, they've talked about, you know, significant further progress on employment and inflation, and so you have to kind of uh, decide for yourself what exactly that means. Our sense would be 2022 is a reasonable expectation. Again, there's some range around it. There are some Fed officials that are talking about late 2021 already. But, and, and so that's, you, you can't rule that out, but it could also take somewhat longer. I think a lot of it is going to really depend on what happens with, with inflation. I think you'll need to be not at 2%, but reasonably close to 2%. So that's fascinating. So there's Goldman Sachs, you know, putting its line in the sand here. And it joins a whole host of other U.S. investment banks at this point who are looking for a relatively meaningful rebound in economic activity. But of course, that takes into account uh, the significant decline that we saw in 2020. So some of this is uh, about getting back to the levels of growth that we left behind last year. Uh, my question would be at this stage, can we have uh, a growth rate that looks like uh, more than 6% uh, without a continuation of a rise in interest rate expectations and perhaps just at the margin a suspicion that inflation may begin to return, either showing up in consumer prices or at least in producer prices, as um, those active in the economy begin to think there's an opportunity to take advantage of the uh, increase in transactions and also acknowledge that uh, there's going to be some pricing pressure around commodities and raw materials. I know we're going to listen uh, a little later on, Steve, to your conversation with Jeff Curry, where I think Goldman's uh, are talking quite a punchy number for the oil price here. So for markets, I think there's a bigger question that um, investors need to ask themselves. Even if we get money diverted into economic activity and the real economy, does that mean some of that money will also find its way into equities, given that uh, an old friend of ours, uh, David Newhauser from Livermore Partners, has a piece out this morning saying, if you believe in fairy tales and unicorns, you will love this market. 
You were right to point to the commodity story and the impact in producer prices. And we're talking about that yesterday through the lens of China as we're watching some of the data cross, that at some point you'll see that uh, increase uh, coming through from the, the rising raw material, a backdrop. But, but that said, I mean, there's so many what-ifs around the scenario from Goldman Sachs and every other scenario produced by investment banks at this point. Uh, what happens in the first quarter of the rollout of vaccines, the second quarter, third and fourth quarter? We do not know what the bounce back is going to look like. And I think 2020 illustrated that. We, we thought we saw recovery in the third quarter and it was going to continue from there. It simply did not because the, the virus took another twist. So we're waiting to see what the success is of, of the vaccines. And, you know, one of the big uh, comments from some of the pharmaceutical companies at this point is they think the vaccines will work against new variants. So I think we all have our fingers crossed at this point. So if we get the playbook we want uh, with, with the, the vaccine tamed because of the virus tamed because of the vaccine, then we might have this pent up demand story that plays out. If there's another wild card, who knows? So I think we, we've got to take these forecasts with a grain of salt at this point. Uh, I think taking comfort, though, would be a lot of investors who've piled into the risk trade saying we, we are going to get those growth numbers that we want. And they're probably calmed by some of this news. But uh, caveat again, uh, 2020 didn't play out how we thought it would. What's 2021 going to look like? Yeah, look, I think there's somewhere in between ultimate doom and gloom and pessimism and fairy tales and unicorns. And I think the market has tried to navigate a way through that as well. That said, we've come an awful long way. So I may be slightly nearer to um, David Newhouse's rather than perhaps those who say this market's got uh, a new bull market to come. If you look at where we've come from, ladies and gentlemen, we've come 70% on the Dow. We've come 73% on the S&P. Uh, the Nasdaq's done 96% and the Russell 2K has done 116%. So if you're looking for that rotation trade, it's kind of already there actually in terms of the performance uh, of Russell 2K and broader stocks compared with actually uh, the Nasdaq as well. So I just started to have a look at the valuations and where we're at as well. Uh, and the problem is we do look fruity compared with 1999, 2000 levels. And that therein lies the issue. You'll all recall that a lot of the last 10 years or so, we've spent a lot of time in the low 20s on the NASDAQ valuation in terms of a P. Well, we've just kind of shot up to, I've got a P on my system now, up to 37, which is not a million miles away from the 40 plus that we saw on PE back in 99, 2000. And the Dow also trading around about 24 times on the PE as well. So we've gone into, dare I say, very um, uh, optimistic territory where you probably have got a few concerns about valuations, regardless uh, of even if um, Hatsius and others are right, we've got to grow into those valuations. Even if we get the 6%, we've still put a lot in the bank, hoping it's going to go up further. A lot of heavy lifting, though, from the technology space. And, you know, you may recall a conversation we had a few days ago about being cautious around any rotation away from technology. That may have just been fueled by what we saw this week around some of the, the bans on political accounts. If you do see this rotation away from some of the big tech names, it may go into other areas, very targeted areas of the economy, that are benefiting from fiscal stimulus. But again, where does it leave the major market? If you are just tracking some of these indexes and trying to get a, a return based on them going higher, you may not see it because of the rotation trade. And I think yesterday also illustrated what can transpire if you do see some of that selling or volatility in technology. The, the major names impacting the Dow and uh, NASDAQ S&P, there were technology names, Salesforce and Tesla. But, what, but look, Microsoft is a stock you've never had to pay much higher than low 20s for throughout its life. It's a great company. Yeah, we all agree Microsoft has been around a while. It's reinvented itself. It's done stunningly well as well. You've now got to pay 30 times forward for this stock as well. Again, no one's doubting how great these companies are. Well, some of the companies I am, but not Microsoft. But, but the problem is, Jeff, that we're really very, very fruity and historically fruity as well, even compared with the excesses of other periods and other bubbles. 
Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is that even as we're seeing uh, Treasury yields rise here, and Karen, you you pointed out that 23 basis point move that we've seen in the 10-year, the market is not seeing that as a signal necessarily necessarily to lighten up on its cyclicals. It's actually saying this is confirming to us that a steeper yield curve is pointing to a cyclical recovery here which is a, a reason to continue to be cautious around the technology stocks, I think. And as we look at that trading session yesterday, what that was um, the first down day in five uh, across the major indices. But the point is the Dow was only off at 0.3%, but the Nasdaq was down 1.3%. And I think that tells you something about that rotation you were discussing, that every time we get a day where the market looks at a rising yield that suggests that there's going to be more fiscal stimulus and there's going to be more reason to believe in the Goldman Sachs idea about the 6% plus GDP jump, that's a reason perhaps just to step back from the growth story for for the time being. I mean, everybody loves growth, let's face it. We're all very excited about the technology stocks, but they have come an awful long way, as Steve points out. Yeah, and then there's that great chat we're going to have later on as well about regulation concerns. And are they worried about Section 230? Is that why they all were so aggressive banning Trump? Lots to question. Uh, we'll talk about this. It's, it's never been better to be in the news business, I'm afraid. Um, coming up on the show, the Atlanta Fed president raises the possibility of rate hikes as early as the middle of next year if the US economy perks up the, uh, after the pandemic. And for more on Goldman Sachs' upgraded forecast on the US economy, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Some interesting comments uh, around the Federal Reserve and interest rates. The Atlanta Fed President uh, Bostic, Raphael Bostic, has warned that interest rates could start rising as early as mid-2022. Speaking to a local Rotary Club, Bostic said there's a possibility that the US economy will rebound from the pandemic more quickly than expected. In that case, he, quote, prepared to pull back and recalibrate Fed policies, including rates. In its December meeting, the median expectation of the FOMC was that interest rates would stay close to zero throughout 2023. Meanwhile, the Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin has told CNBC that he doesn't expect pent-up demand to drive up inflation suddenly. All of these excess savings you know, what happens when people are free to spend again? And uh, it's actually surprising. You don't see it coming into the economy quite as powerfully as you might guess. In part, you know, a lot of what we've given up are services. And while I probably need a haircut, I don't need two. And I might need a dentist appointment, but I don't need two. And so some of those services just take a while to get uh, back into the economy. Some of the things that are big factors in uh, inflation, like rent, are just going to take a while to uh, adjust. And so at least my forecast, while it comes back, I think you're more likely to see it support spending over several years 
rather than it be some big episode in the third or fourth quarter. All right, hands up if you're confused. Wasn't it last month we're supposed to be running hot, now we're like taking a look at inflation, right, especially when those base effects come in in February. I'll just get this oil read out of the way and a bit of Jeff Curry, then we'll get to this. Oil prices will be supported in the near term by a recent Saudi oil output cut and Democratic victories in this month's Georgia runoff elections. According to Jeff Curry, the global head of commodities at Goldman Sachs, I spoke with him yesterday afternoon, Karen, yes, double shift, uh, during the bank strategy conference and began by asking him about his bullish outlook for the oil market. There's a tactical story here, and then there's a structural story. I like to say the vaccine is a tactical catalyst, while the pandemic itself is a structural catalyst. Um, so let's quickly talk about, you know, tactically why we're bullish um, near term. Um, I would argue that the recent OPEC cut plus the Georgia elections have taken a lot of the near-term downside out of the market. In fact, we like to say those two events last week neutralize the increased infection rates and the downside risk to demand, plus tee the market up for when the vaccine takes hold later this spring when people get back into airplanes and jet demand takes off like that, that OPEC and the production is going to be behind the curve, creating sharp deficits in the second quarter going into the third. So that's, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack in that straight away. First of all, let me just go straight to that jet demand story. You said back in May that you don't think jet demand will ever come back. I mean, here are you and I, uh, across the world from each other. And the fact is, we can have a perfectly good business conversation without getting on a plane and incurring all that expense, but importantly, not having all that jet fuel as well. So you think business demand will come back for flying or not? No, we think about a third of it will be lost. Um, uh, but I think that the offset to that is what's going on in terms of gasoline and driving demand. That's going up, that's offsetting that potential loss from jet. Let me remind you, Jet is not happening right now. You know, people are not traveling. But when we do get that rebound, we think you'll lose maybe about a third of it. But offsetting that are people are not willing to get down into the subways and take public transportation. And as a result, auto sales are up tremendously. And the jet, or excuse me, gasoline and demand for basic transportation and traveling in their cars is likely to offset that. The net of that, we think, you know, you put those two factors together as we go into 2022 that you're going to get above pre-COVID levels. If pre-COVID levels were 100 million barrels per day, we think you're going to hit 102.5 million barrels per day in 2022. We've got a lot to get in, but I'll just, just finally say, Jeff and Karen, that um, even a Biden push towards newer energies, he said longer term will hurt oil. Short term, he believes a trillion dollars that could potentially be spent will actually benefit the oil price in the short term. It's quite a swift bullish turn, isn't it, where you're now seeing the market rally around this reflation trade, and that's particularly focused on the oil trade. But the, the Georgia win, I thought the Goldman Sachs report was fascinating from the sense that they're saying US, China, sure. Europe, all in lockstep now around these synchronised policies uh, globally to, to try and present this green wave. But as you, you point out, that's still positive for, for the energy backdrop. Uh, Jeff, my question is, what happens with uh, the boss comments. I thought that was fascinating. You've got the split view from the Fed. You alluded to it earlier. But uh, if we start talking about rate hikes from next year, what does it happen to the, the rate environment? We've already moved on the long end. What happens to the short, short end of that yield curve? Yeah, I think it's interesting. The, uh, the Fed issue, just to set it to one side for a moment, I, I think as far as the Fed is concerned, it's just a reminder 
Uh, the central banks are as data dependent as the rest of us. But I'm going to go with uh, Art Berman, the petroleum uh, geologist on the oil story, because he, he has always argued that if you want to understand where the price of oil is going, then you need to understand the supply. The price is about the supply, not about the demand. Because I, I think as, as Steve and Jeff Curry and uh, everybody else who watches this industry knows, there's quite a lot of stability in reality around the underlying demand for oil. And even as, you know, we, we talk about the greening of the economy and, and the shift away from the internal combustion engine, we're still going to need plastic and uh, other commodities that are made from oil. So the reality is oil is going to be with us for some time. And I think, you know, as as Jeff Curry uh, and you and Jeff Curry talked about, Steve, the, the big question I think going forward will be how long does Saudi Arabia maintain its line on cutting output? And to what extent can Russia, Saudi Arabia and the United States going forward under a Biden presidency find some accommodation on what the right price is going to be for WTI and Brent in the future? Yeah, he had an interesting line on WTI, on, on, on Saudi holding up on their own, regardless of OPEC and OPEC. Plus, it was just about Saudi last week as well. So excellent. Thanks, Jeff. And I just want to say to viewers who were looking at my home shot and Jeff's home shot, I want to confirm, despite the fact they look absolutely identical, I can assure you he's got far more books than I have. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.